All right, so we are starting a new sermon series. As you can see, The Way, the Truth, the Life, we're going to be in John 14. So if you guys want to turn there, John 14, um, and then we will, I will pray, and we will get started. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the men and women here in this room today. I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding. I pray that you would open up our eyes to be able to see your goodness, your glory. pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be able to worship you in spirit and truth, that right here today, Lord, that we can worship you here on Parsons Avenue, 888 Parsons Avenue. So let us not forget that. Father, I pray that you would just provide a supernatural ability to just hear and pay attention and focus in. Lord, pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Like, I am so thankful that we have so many children here today, and I just want to encourage you guys, this is what it is. This is what we have. We believe that these children are the next generation of the Christian church, so we're going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They're going to be in here worshiping with us. They're going to sing songs with us. They're going to hear the sermon with us. We're not going to put them here or there. They're going to be active and engaged. So rejoice with us that we have children here. What a glorious thing that is. So where we're at today is in John 14, 1 through 4. We're only going through four verses today. In those four verses, we're going to see more and more about Jesus' life and a thing I like to call prep work. So Jesus is in the business of reconciliation and redemption. The reason that Jesus has come to this earth was to provide a path for the people to his Father. That's the reason Jesus came, right? And we're starting the new sermon series called The Way, the Truth, the Life. And this is, comes from verse 6. We're going to hear this repeated over and over through the course of this month, that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the claim that Jesus Christ makes. These three things that Jesus himself identifies with. This is what separates us from the other world religions. To be a Christian is to be exclusively Christ's, right? Jesus isn't a way amongst many ways. He's not the truth amongst many truths. He's not the life amongst many ways to live, but he is exclusive. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one, not a single soul, gets to the Father except through him. No one. There is exclusivity in the teaching of Christ. And we will be digging into these claims throughout the coming weeks. The reason why is because we need... But today we are in the first series of this first sermon. We're going to call this title of this sermon prep work, all right? Because that's what we're going to be talking about. And we need to start thinking of where we're at in the story, in the gospel. We're in chapter 14. The reason it's entitled prep work is because the remaining series leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is Jesus equipping his saints, his disciples, to do ministry. He is prepping them for his departure. He is providing prep for his disciples because the nature of his ministry is about to change. He is going to leave them, he's going to go back to the Father, and he will send a comforter to be with them, and that comforter is the Holy Spirit. 
And we must look at this section within the right lens. Jesus knows that he is going to the cross. He knows that he's going to leave his disciples. He knows he's going to make these disciples create a global movement that's going to span millennia. He knows these things. So imagine if you have one day left with your children and you are going to leave and the nature of your relationship is going to change forever, you know your kids. What are you going to tell them? What are you going to say to them? What are you going to want them to know if this is the last time they're going to see you in this way? You know how they're going to react. So think about that. What would you tell them? How would you handle that situation? And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to get to peel back the mind of God in flesh and see how he preps them for their work through him. We're going to have three points in this section in these four verses. We're going to, have, we're going to talk about a prepared heart, a prepared place, and a prepared people. Prepared heart, prepared place, and a prepared people. And the definition of prepared means to make ready for use. So that's what he is doing, is he is preparing their heart to be ready for use, a place to be ready for use, and a people to be ready for use. This is what prepared means. So this whole chapter, and the chapters leading up to it, is the preparation of the people of God. Jesus is living, uh, leaving them with truths that they need to be prepared for use. So we're going to jump straight into the text. John 14, 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, and where I am, you may be also. Verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. He starts with a prepared heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why have the disciples been troubled? What brings peace to their heart? These are two questions that I'm faced with while I was doing sermon prep or Bible study, right? Even if you're not preparing sermons every week, we can be equipped to read scripture and we can be able to look and think logically about the text and what does it say. So these are the two questions that I felt like I was faced with. And when these questions arise from Bible study, if you look on the back of your bulletin, we have these things, tools for the body. And we have the OIA method. We like to use the OIA method. And you'll also see Acts Prayer there. And you'll see our mission statement and five core values. This is, this is our DNA. This is what we look like. But the OIA Bible study method, right? We ask three things once we're digging into the text. And this has been going on for years for me, so it comes a little bit more naturally. But just like anything, like working out, you have to keep doing it, have to keep being repetitive. So the observation is, what does it say? The interpretation is, what does it mean? And the application is, what do I need to do to change? So when we spend time in our Bible, we can see questions arise. So when I was digging this for sermon prep, I looked at it. And I was like, what does it say? I was like, Jesus is concerned with his disciples' hearts? Is that what it's saying? He is concerned with his followers' heart? He doesn't want them to be troubled? What does that mean? That, that our Savior cares enough for their spiritual state? That he wants to provide comfort for his followers? 
And what do I need to do to change? What is the application for my life? Am I encouraging those around me? Am I looking at them? So these are just practical things. As we go through the text, we can ask these questions. Our Savior is about to face the most challenging and darkest hours. And he is spending time comforting his disciples. Jesus did not want their hearts to be troubled. He wants to strengthen their hearts. He wants to prepare their hearts. In fact, the whole section is the reality that he wants to prepare them for what they were designed for, for their purpose. And their purpose is to love God and enjoy him forever. These disciples are experiencing anxiety. Their hearts are troubled. And take a moment to think about the reality in these men's lives. It's easy to look past this text. It's easy to read this and not check the hindsight. And think about where they came from. But for a moment, we have to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. We must get into the history of this story. These disciples have been with Jesus for three years. These disciples went everywhere with Jesus for three years. They have been with him in miracles. They have been with him in times of rest. They have a hundred meals together. They shared stories, dreams, aspirations, jokes. They were close to one another. Now for a moment, imagine your teacher, your friend, your Lord, your King. That man said he's going to leave you. That man has said he's going away. How would you feel? Get into the story. What does that mean for you? What would be going through your mind? Do not be divorced from the biblical narrative. These are real people in real places and real times with real emotions. Jesus asked them to leave everything behind. To invest their whole life towards a future kingdom. To drop everything and follow him. Some had money as tax collectors. Some had political motivation as zealots. Others had businesses as fishermen. And it says that they immediately left everything behind and followed Jesus. So I think it's easy to take a look back and think, well, that must have been easy. This is Jesus. I don't want us to forget that these people had lives. They had autonomy. They had feelings. They had aspirations. It's easy to think about their mindset after the resurrection because we see the amazing work that has been done. We have seen the death, burial, and resurrection. We've seen the world change. We have seen that. But let's be in the disciples' shoes. A future without Jesus leading them seems too much to bear. They feel as if it's going to be impossible. How can they do this alone? How can they do this without a leader? How can they do this without a king? They're probably wrestling in their mind the thought, right? Like, clearly we're misunderstanding something. Clearly we're missing something because Jesus isn't really saying what he's saying, right? 
With this mindset in mind, what does Jesus tell them? Let not your heart be troubled. Facing their most desperate hour, let not your heart be troubled. What is the solution for a troubled heart? It's trust. If you're troubled in heart, what does Jesus say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is what he says. To believe is to think to be true, to place trust in. This is what believes means. To believe in something, you have to place trust in this. Jesus is saying, if your heart is troubled, have faith in God, have faith in me. Jesus is telling his disciples to look at him as their object of faith. And once again, Jesus is making it clear that having faith in him is on the same plane as having faith in God. You cannot get to God through any other way except Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, the life. The foundation of our faith is found in a person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. This is the exclusivity of what it means to be a Christian. We cannot be a Christian divorced from Christ and what he has done. And this is what Jesus is pointing towards while his disciples have troubled hearts. He says, look towards me, look at me. Look at what I've done for you and look at what I will continue to do for you. I know the world will let you down. The world is going to throw you for the loop. I know the world can be a scary and lonely place. And the thought of Jesus leaving his people filled them with anxiety. And their hearts were troubled. And this is a very human emotion. And we all can experience this. I know I have experienced this. Like, what can I do? What is next? Their heart are troubled because they don't know what's going to happen. They aren't God. They don't know what the next step looks like. And that's a very real emotion. Have you ever felt that? Anxiety about what's going to happen next or how it's going to happen. Maybe even sleepless nights working over scenarios in your head, constantly playing back and back and back. It's like, what is this going to look like? Never finding rest. This isn't healthy behavior. But there is one lesson here that the Lord wants us to leave, his, uh, he wants to leave his disciples with. That in the dawn, in the midst of their most anxious, most nerve-wracking nights, he wants them to look towards him. He wants... His eyes to be fixed, those disciples' eyes to be fixated on Jesus. He's asking them, have I failed you yet? This is the lesson the Lord wants to leave us with. Like, guys, do you remember when I raised Lazarus from the dead? I'm still that Savior. Trust in me. Remember when I turned water into wine? I am still that Savior. Trust in me. Remember when I gave sight to the blind? I'm still that Savior. Trust in me. Peter, do you remember when you walked on the water? I'm still that Savior. Trust in me. Our present problems can cloud our vision. It can be hard to see. But Jesus is saying, trust in me. Don't be troubled, but trust I talk over and over again about these bricks of faith 
And we all have them. We have seen when God has shown up. Do not be troubled, but trust. I know what I said scares you. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. But I haven't steered you wrong yet. I'm still your Savior. Trust in me. We, as believers and followers of Christ, must keep our eyes fixated on Jesus. And Jesus lays the prep work for comforting our troubled hearts. But this isn't where prep work ends. No, we have a prepared place. He says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. Verse 2, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. Life can get confusing. Life can get confusing when we try to use products or passion or a place or any of these things as a purpose for our life instead of the person. We can get very confused. Jesus says that in my Father's house there are many rooms. If you have read different translation other than the ESV, you might have heard mansions before. You might have heard palaces before. But the idea in the original language was a place of residence. So Jesus is saying, so that when it's talking about rooms, it's talking about staying in, abiding in, dwelling in. The idea of heaven can get confusing in our modern context. We have to go back to the scripture. Heaven is a place where God dwells. We must get that and know that. We're not just going to be some spirit on a fluffy clouds playing harps. This is a misunderstanding in our modern culture. But we will be there dwelling with God, physical bodies on a physical city. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm preparing something through my death, through my resurrection. I'm preparing a place for you, an access point for you to stay with, abide with, dwell with God. And see, that's the longing of our life. That's the reason we are here. Our purpose is that we are created beings, created by a creator to dwell with him and be in fellowship with him. That might boggle our brain and we think that we're here for X, Y, or Z, but the reason we were created was to be in fellowship with the creator. That's our purpose in life. To dwell with and be in fellowship with him for all eternity. See, we are image bearers. So think of, think of like a mirror when you wake up in the morning and you look into a mirror. And what does it do? It, it reflects your image. That's what it does, right? So when it comes down to it, our purpose is to reflect God's image to creation. This is what we should be doing. And weeks ago I kept saying that we reflect what we worship. That what we hold value to, that what we trust in, what we were hoping we will reflect. We will become like whatever we hold value to, we will become like that. And because of the effects of sin, we will fail to reflect God or reflect the world and its fallen nature. That's the reality. But the point changes because of Jesus. When Jesus goes to the cross, and defeats death by rising again, he is in that act of redemption, is preparing a place for us to dwell once again with God. Our purpose for living now has a pathway. 
Our purpose for living now has a pathway. And this is the thing that gives us hope. This is the thing that gives us direction. This is the access point to the Father. This is the reality and hope that we can look forward to. I mean, think about it. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is preparing a place for them as a means for a comfort in their troubled hearts. That's what he's doing. Why is that important to us now? For a moment, think of any task you want to accomplish. That might be weight loss, a new job, finding housing. Maybe you want to have another child. Whatever your goal is, it is important to see the end. It is important to have the end in mind. So what we are supposed to do with this world that we're in, when we see crime, we see drug abuse, we see heartache, we see physical pain, it can be hopeless. It can make us want to give up. It can be tiresome. It can be overwhelming. We can think, how can I keep going on? Pay attention to what Jesus did to his disciples. He prepares their heart, and he talks to them about a place that is a pathway to their purpose. Jesus points his disciples to the fact that they will be back with God. The result of the fall, the heartache of sin, will not have the last word, and they may scream right now. It might be so loud in your ear and you see death and destruction and chaos constantly. But one day they will be silent. They will not get the last word. And God's children will dwell with him. With the end in mind, it allows us to be hopeful in the middle. Jesus is going to prepare a place to his father in a very specific route in a very specific way, and that's through his death and resurrection. So why should these believers not be troubled in heart? Why should they trust in Jesus? Because when Jesus leaves them, he is preparing a way of access to the Father. He is preparing a place to abide and dwell with God. Jesus is letting him know that through his departure, that is a good thing, and that is a temporary thing. And that I will, you will be alone for a little while, but they will be able to abide with God once I do go and do my departure. The purpose of their and our existence is to be in fellowship with the Creator. And Jesus is leaving them and preparing them for this. The preparations of the room is only one part, the access has been secured by Jesus. But he isn't just preparing a place for no reason. He is preparing a place that's going to involve people, prepared people. It says, when uh, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Jesus calms their troubled heart and preparing them for the work when he is gone. He says, believe in me and believe in the Father. Hold fast to my teaching. Hold fast to what I'm going to accomplish. And the second thing, he says, my departure is a pathway into the presence of God. I'm going to prepare you a place. And these two truths are preparing his people to live a life that is expected in this truth. 
Jesus isn't just some moral teacher or some fancy miracle worker, but he is the creator in flesh that has come into the world. So let us take a step back and ponder what I'm saying this morning. We can see chaos, we can see problems, we can see heartache, we can see confusion, and we can be left wondering what all of this is about. For a moment, I want you to consider the dilemma that we know. That the Creator knows this dilemma. He knows that something is off. He knows that there's a fundamental problem that we all know, we all sense, we all see. But we may not understand it. So through the course of human history, God has select people to reveal himself to. The God of the universe has selected people to reveal himself to. And he had those people write down so people could know who he is, what he's doing, and it didn't stop there. He not only did talk to men, he became man, put on flesh, born of a virgin, lived a life, had disciples, did miracles, teaching them and training them in his ways. God taught man by becoming one. And he doesn't just tell them what to do, he does it for them. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God has not left us to our own devices and we're not alone. But we have a God who cares enough to see sin and come in, enter in, and provide a pathway and a place for his people. And he does it for them. He lives a perfect life. And the sin of men was transferred from them to him. In our catechism, we talk about what justification is. That God's wrath against sin was paid for by his son in the place of his creation. This is the good news. And he didn't have to do any of this. But in the midst of doing this, before his darkest hour, he would pay for the sins of his creation. What does he do? He comforts his creation. Do you think God does not care about your heartache and pain that he's some absentee landlord that doesn't know what you're going through or what you're experiencing? He comforts his creation in their most darkest hour while he was facing death on the cross. Our Lord and Savior is not some overlording tyrant who wants to steal joy from you. He wants you to have life and life abundantly in him. He wants you to enjoy him because that's the only way you will find true joy. And he knows this because he created you. Joy is found only through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And that isn't the end of the story. He just doesn't provide just a pathway. He's coming back. He's coming back for you and me if we believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. I know the feeling of abandonment. I know what it looks like to see an empty driveway wondering if they're going to come home. I know what that feels like. But that's not our king. That is not our God. That is not our Savior. He has paid the ultimate price to purchase you. He paid the price to prepare a place for you, and he is coming again to get you and not leave you as an abandoned orphan, but to adopt you as a son and daughter. 
What does this look like? What does this place look like? And it's my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Is it's in Revelation 21, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. This is going to pass away. This all is going to pass away. New heavens, new earth, heaven, place where God dwells, earth, physical residence, together. He says, the sea was no more, and I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He dwells with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the place that is prepared for you. What does he say in verse 4? He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. He says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of living water, of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. Will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be with me as a son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, for all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and that is the second death. See, the reality is that God provides a way and a pathway, and he comforts his disciples in the midst of their most challenging place. And we can look at that last verse and say, like, what are you talking about? He's going to separate the believers and non-believers? Absolutely, that is what is going to happen. But he's the way, the truth, the life. You haven't. Our Savior provides a prep work and a pathway. He doesn't have to tell us any of this. He can leave us to our own devices. He can leave us to be alone. But Jesus provides our prep work. When our hearts are troubled, he says, believe in him. And this is what he's doing. And he is also preparing a place for us to be a prepared people. We must know that Jesus is going to return. Our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. He is the place. He has a place prepared for us. The reason for our existence is to be in fellowship with the one who has created us. He is doing the prep work for his disciples. So they can have a long-range vision. That is life. And this life isn't just temporal, but eternal. And this life isn't about accumulating possessions, but to know a person. Jesus' prep work begins and ends with him. Jesus' prep work begins and ends with him. He says, believe in me, believe in God also. He's saying, I'm preparing a place for you. And he says, I'm coming back to you. The prep work that Jesus lays out is all wrapped up in his words and work. And true peace flows from his preparations. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there are hearts that are softened, 
I pray that you would break through today, that you would provide salvation today because you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of all, and you have provided a pathway for us to be in the presence of you, the reason for our life, the reason that we are here. Father, I pray that salvation would come today to those who haven't received it. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for the men and women who are here, brothers and sisters, people who are united. Father, fill us with your spirit. Fill, fill us with your understanding. Allow us to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Columbus is expanding and growing, and death and destruction is crouching in. But, Father, you have made us to be salt and light. I pray that we would be bold and we would see revival happen here in this city, in this town, and we would see the hope of the land that was slain thrown out this city. Father, last week we learned that Marks of discipleship is love, genuine love. So I pray that there would be love that radiates out of here. But love that is founded in truth. That we know that you are holy and merciful. In your holiness you require payment for death and destruction and sin. But in mercy you provide that way through yourself. Father, if we are justified, we are free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I pray that if we are justified, we would be sanctified. We would be constantly made more and more in the image and likeness of your Son. That we would give up our own personal preferences. That we would give up our own personal aspirations. And ask, what do you want from us, Lord? For your, my life is now in your hands. I thank you for the men and women here, Lord. I pray that they would be blessed this week and they would have hope and trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.